productivity, where we unlock the secrets to boosting efficiency, enhancing skills, and achieving success, both in the gaming world and in the real world. I'm your host, Nico Pengen, and together we're going to embark on a journey today, specifically with an author who has already came onto the show before. So get ready to level up your productivity as well as enjoy your time listening to this amazing conversation that we're going to have with Chris Philbrook. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. I was thrilled when you reached out to come back. I had such a good time the last time I was on the show. Yes, it was an amazing conversation. And today I hope to have nothing different than that. Okay. <laughs> Me so, too. <laughs> with that being said, since the last time that we had a conversation, have you had any new games that you've discovered? And have you had any new projects that you've been working on? Oh boy, I both actually. Um in terms of games, uh the the big one is um I don't have my console set up here. I normally I'm a, a PlayStation guy. And because I work on my computer at home all day, I like can't do Steam on my computer because if I have the ability to play a game on my computer, I am not going to be able to not play a game on my computer, you know? So if I like want to eat and have nice things, I can't have games on my computer. Right. Um so I do some mobile stuff uh on my phone, like you know, five minutes here, five minutes there. And I've been playing a game called Dragonair. Mm. Uh, which is like a you know one of the gotcha games where you get all the heroes and then you gear them up and you you grind out um, you know to level up and you go after all these dungeons and stuff and that's been really fun I've been playing that for about three or four months now uh, and I've been doing a lot of uh, tabletop role playing it's been a, a neat little renaissance here the last six months I um, we moved to a new town which mm. um, I had just moved to when you and I last met. And I made some local friends and they're, you know, gamers and stuff. So I've been able to play locally. Uh, we're doing like Dungeons and Dragons and uh, we're doing a science fiction tabletop game called Starfinder, uh, mm -hmm. which has been really fun. And uh, just been like trying to do like in-person gaming things, which has been a lot of fun. And as far as mm -hmm. like work stuff goes, sorry, um, just writing <laughs> like uh, the last time I was on, I was getting ready to launch uh, the horror series, Diggory Finch. Yes. And now the, uh, the first two books are out in the series and the third one is in um, post-production right now. The, the narration just got finished last week for the audiobook, and the formatting uh, finished today. Actually, that was what I was doing. And I'm excited because that one comes out like in the next, gosh, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks, something like that so oh sounds like you've been really proactive and productive and making sure to do what needs to be done to get the bills paid <laughs> trying <laughs> trying now uh because of your involvement in uh tabletop games how do you think that ability to emerge yourself into that actual game how do you think that relates to your writing capability and your world building abilities oh i think it all comes from it truthfully uh you know when i when i was a kid back in the 90s i got into gaming um gosh i mean it was probably the mid 80s when i got like my first playstation or my first nintendo and you know, the initial Nintendo games were you know, pretty straightforward, right? And they didn't have a whole lot of immersive story. But then, like, the Final Fantasy stuff kind of came out, and you started to see the, the potential for storytelling in gaming. And it just kept going and going and going. And then I got into tabletop stuff, which is, you know, all free form. So the stories can be literally whatever you can think of on the fly. And I've always had a really, you know, overactive imagination. And then being able to kind of channel it into, like, a structured environment of a game. Mm -hmm where everyone kind of knows what to expect and has like a, a general understanding of how to work with um, the creativity w within the framework of the game was like gasoline on my fire. And 
I, you know, just like coming up with ideas for games to run, coming up with characters to play in other people's games that they are running, and then transferring that, you know, to like the video game environments where you get to make a character for like an MMO or something like that, where, you know, even though the, your character story never comes up in an MMO, it's still kind of fun to have that idea going in the back of your head, like, oh, you know, I'm from the fringes and, uh, you know, trying to find my lost brother and you're just like running through the storyline. But, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to have that in the back of your head, too. Hmm. Now, since you've essentially explored a whole lot of different facets of gaming from the tabletop RPGs to actual video games, now that we're entering this even more technologically advanced time, how do you see the involving relationship between these different gaming mediums? Well, I mean, I think the the bigger gaming companies are already... Um, connecting you know all the different kinds of um avenues so you know the 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 juggernaut for role-playing dungeons and dragons right they have their DD beyond platform which is all online and you can make your character you can play in campaigns you can meet players you can do everything through their platform mm-hmm. and i think you know most games are are at a minimum now developing like phone apps where you mm-hmm. can use um you know, an application to help make your tabletop experience more more fluid or right. more interactive. You know, dice rolling apps, for example, is, is like a very low level idea of it. But, you know, I think as, as life becomes easier to integrate uh, in terms of, you know, in-person experiences and online experiences, and you can kind of bounce between the two, I think we're going to see more multimedia type presentations especially as it relates to you know tabletop in-person things you mean like like holographic projections i mean i think end game that's the kind of stuff you know we're, we're looking at but i mean i think in the next you know now to the next five years you'll see um you know cut scenes that you can play you know on your tabletop um that are designed for the game you're running right and, you know, with, with AI, uh, you know, generating art and story at the way they are, which is terrifying as a creative guy, you know, I can totally see, you know, uh, a dungeon master sitting down and going to a, a, a cut screen app and typing in, you know, what happens. And then it generates like a 30 second video, right? Right. So you're sitting down at the table and, you know, when the, the griffin lands in the field and threatens the characters, he can or she can just hit play and you know if you have a a tv or screen there it'll just run the video and you don't have to be eloquent and descriptive you can just write in the prompt and it'll generate you know um you know we already know that mid-journey and the other ones can generate art right so how long how far away are we from it generating like an actual video um, and then, you know, where does it go from there? Then you're interacting with it and then you're, you're, you're controlling things on the screen and whatnot. Um, so I, you know, I think it's becoming intermingled and, uh, like I said, as a creative, it, AI terrifies me, like just flat out terrifies me because if someone can sit down and, and put a 15 minute prompt into, you know, chat GPT and it spits out an 80,000 word book in five minutes, that's like four months worth of work for me. Right. Um, and granted, everything that's been churned out from AI um, in that regard isn't really very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of time before it gets better and it becomes harder to catch. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was going to say, well, how important in regards to, to that, how important is it for you uh, like to make sure that your works are like copyrighted, that they're protected? Because now they essentially learn based off of uh, data. So yeah. that requires like the consent to allow you to use your your works to feed the monster essentially. So how important is that for you? I mean, in a perfect world, they would actually get your consent. But the reality of it is, is the vast majority of these AI learning systems um, and companies who are, are you know, teaching these AIs didn't secure consent. Um, they just, you know, set it free on the internet and let it read everything it could find basically. And, you know, we're finding out 
as, as more and more lawsuits get filed, we're finding out that a lot of these big um, language models were, were literally just fed books from you know the online libraries without the consent of authors or publishers or whatever. And the a lot of these um, models will spit out verbatim passages from books. And because like, you know, it, it tries to find something that it read that matches what you asked for. And then it tries to figure out how to you know link it all together. It's not creating anything. It's just taking stuff that's already been created and trying to re, you know, reassemble those pieces. So AI doesn't actually create anything new. It just takes what's already been and reassembles it and then spits it out and hope, hopes you think it's new. And as far as copywriting goes, like all of my stuff is copyrighted, um, like, you know, any other published work. And there's only so much you can do to stop pirates, right? Like if it's out there, someone's going to copy it. Someone's going to give it away or try and sell it. And I, I, don't, I don't fight all that anymore. It keeps me up at night. Uh, but the AI stuff is, is just, it's, it's, you know, worrisome. This is not the future I signed up for, you know, robots creating art, right? Do you think that those AI tools are enhancing um the art that's being created or do you think that it's limiting the creative process both neither uh <laughs> neither I, I think there are people who are using ai uh to inspire and refine and clarify and do research and they're getting great results out of it um i know i have tried using AI to generate like ad copy um, for like running ads online for stuff. Um, Cause like, I don't know how to sell my own book. Right. Like I wrote the damn thing right, right. Comes to convincing someone to buy it. It's really hard to find like succinct language, but you know, chat GBT is really good at it. You know, you feed it the synopsis of your book and it spits out 25 different, you know, two paragraph ideas for how to sell it. And then I can copy paste those and try them and reword them and whatnot. Um, which is like borderline unethical, right? Because in a perfect world, I would be paying a marketing person to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's you know, it's just scary. I think it's it it definitely inspires people. I think it bounces ideas back. And as far as limiting the process goes, I don't think anybody who's using it is concerned about limiting themselves i think they're looking at it and saying i'm going to use this tool to do the writing that i'm unwilling to do you know the regular way um or i do the writing that i wish i could do but can't uh and in that case you know they're not limiting themselves at all this is a you know the key to their productivity right this is how they think they're going to be able to take their idea and turn it into a product which you know, in the world of creativity, there's a million people who think they have a great idea, right? Everyone's mm -hmm. like, hey, I got this great idea for a book. Um, I got this great idea for a show. I got this great idea for a movie. I got this great idea for a game, right? Everyone's got an idea. But the reality of it is, is out of that million people who have an idea, there's about 20 people who actually follow through mm -hmm. and do the work to take that great idea and create something. And then, you know, out of that 20 people who put the work in, how many people actually did it well, mm. right? And you want to reward those people who have, you know, the, the gumption to follow through and then the talent right. to do it well, right? And that's why, you know, creators are, are rarer than people who pound nails. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being a general contractor, but, you know, I could go be a general contractor, right? But a general contractor is not going to be able to sit at my desk and write a book like me. It's just a different, you know, um, entry level kind of skill set. And... I think AI is giving people the, this false sense that they'll be able to be like profoundly creative and talented. Mm -hmm. And all you're doing is putting in a prompt. Might be a really good prompt, right. but you know. So that makes me think then, so would a futuristic author, let's say in like the next 20, 30, 40 years then, be somebody who can effectively strike a balance between leveraging AI tools for efficiency and then also learning and maintaining how to keep the authenticity and uniqueness of their artistic expression consistently over time. 
yeah, I mean, I think that's where we're at right now. Mm. I think we're we're starting to see that um, that genesis literally right now. You know, when I'm talking to my colleagues, you know, where a lot of us have that conversation where it's like, are you using AI for anything? Um, and almost everybody has either tried to use it for something or is considering trying to use it for something. Um, and the vast majority of the people that I know that are like existing creators, be it people who work in Hollywood or people who work in, um, you know, writing or, or game development or whatever, the people who have already done something have no interest in replacing their work with AI because they have a system, they have a talent, they know what they're doing. But there are many things about the creative process that could be sped up by by asking AI some questions. And, you know, like from a marketing standpoint, there's like tons of tools that you can use. So I think a lot of us are, are trying to figure out how can we use it to make our lives a little easier, but not to create the art and you know the the end product like we don't want it to do the work for us but we want it to make the work a little easier right and that balance is i think is is the future and like where that line goes right like where it stops being a, a tool to make your life easier and it becomes a tool for just doing the work for you um you know where that line is i don't know where it'll land but we'll see as it as it gets better then it makes it increasingly harder to essentially not use it then because it's it's doing such a tremendous amount of work that you can either take it upon yourself and be like you know what this can really jumpstart my next two to three projects like i can save months of work and have it you know much much uh, readily available as opposed mm-hmm. to taking you know thousands of minutes of your busy schedule now mm-hmm. you've compiled the nice prompt press right. enter and boom now you got months of work done right yeah it's it's concerning <laughs> it's great for research right like mm-hmm. I, I was talking to somebody about you know one of the things that takes up a lot of my time as a writer is research so when i'm writing about a place i've never been if I want to be accurate, you know, in how it looks, how it smells, what the layout is, whatever, I got to research that, right? Mm-hmm. So there'll be days where I sit down to write and I hit a roadblock where I realize I have to research and I might be researching something very, very, very obscure for like a day or two to basically get two or three sentences right. You know, um, one of my books, uh, A Cell Phone Tower, is a very big part of the story. And I didn't know anything about cell phone towers. Um, I just knew that it was like a perfect kind of catalyst for a big portion of the story. So I just started researching, right? And it's like, okay, how tall are they? How do they get their power? Are there switches at the bottom? Are the controls at the bottom? Is there a room at the bottom? How do you get to the top? Um, you know, looking up YouTube videos of workers climbing up to the top and, and just like trying to learn as much as I could about these things. And I, I probably spent like four or five days just doing that research, right? But you can go to ChatGPT and say, ChatGPT, I'm trying to write a book that involves several scenes that take place on or near a cell tower. And GPT says, okay. (laughs) And then you say, can you write me up a 10,000 word document that explains what cell towers look like and how you operate them and how they're powered? And like, you can literally just ask it all those questions and then it scours the web and gets you a concise answer. And it probably could have done um, all the legwork on that that research I did in 20 minutes mm-hmm. as opposed to the three or four days. Now, that's a useful tool because I then have to take all that information and interpret it into an artistic fashion that fits the story right. and you know create something entertaining out of it. I didn't let it write the scenes. Mm-hmm. I didn't let it take that role. Um, so yeah it's got its place do you worry about other authors that are just looking to uh, cut corners in order to just meet production costs at this point um not really i don't i don't really concern myself with other authors i don't consider other authors my competition um my books are not the that's only such books. A boss. That's such a boss <laughs> no, it's just it's the truth, right? Like, you know, I don't know anybody who only reads one person's books. 
Right. You read what sounds interesting to you. You might read four or five people's books. You might read everything that shows up in a genre. Um, So like, I don't expect that the success of someone else is going to hurt me. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously there are times when it's like, oh, well, you know, I kind of wish that person's success kind of had, you know, kind of sent this way, Mm -hmm. but that's not like, I don't worry about them. That's like envy, right? That's like, I look at them and I aspire to reach their level of success. Um, I do concern myself with the legions of, you know, I say legions, but that might be a, that might be gross hyperbole, but but there are many, many, many people out there who wish they could write books that sell to people that I sell books to Mm. and they can sit down and in the course of a week or two, churn out four or five titles on chat GPT and then just put them out on the market through Amazon and there are readers out there who have a limited budget who may pick up those AI books. And that's money that went to someone who's not creating art. They're gaming the mm. system using software. Yeah. That, that money should have gone to someone who put the work in. Facts. And that's just like a morality thing. So I worry about that. I worry about um, computers flooding the market um, and mm. essentially like doing what, I have spent years learning how to do, but I mean, you know, we, we worried greatly about, you know, the invention of the computer. Everyone thought that that was going to put, you know, typists out of a job. And, you know, there were concerned about robots putting factory workers out of jobs. And there's always the threat of becoming obsolete. Right. Um, the question is, is what do you do? Do you adapt? Do you change? Do you find a different career? Do you continue to do it better? Like, you know, then that's, you know, any profession really. No, that is that is 100% correct. And before I keep asking any more questions, while we were on the subject of real life authorship, take a moment to promote yourself and let everybody know where they can support you because you are real, you are an indie author, and you do have a mouth to feed or two. And so in order to do that, everybody needs to know where they can go to do that. Appreciate it. Um... So Chris Philbrook, I, I write um, genre fiction, which is like science fiction, fantasy, and horror, and kind of where that those Venn diagrams overlap. Um, I'm most well-known for post-apocalyptic fiction, uh, specifically a series called Adrian's Undead Diary, which is um, zombies, but with a kind of a supernatural twist. And the vast majority of the people who have discovered my stories have done so on Audible through the audiobooks um, of all of my titles. So if you're an audiobook person, you can find all my stuff on Audible. You just plot my name in. And uh, you can also get my ebooks on Amazon through the Kindle. And you can get print books uh, through Barnes & Noble or Amazon, or you can order them directly on my website, uh, which is thechrisfilbrook.com. And uh, paperbacks, if you order them through my website, I ship directly so I can sign it for you and then send it. And then I now have hardcovers of my Adrian's series, and those can either ship from me or they can ship straight from the um, the manufacturer, which is pretty cool. And those are really nice books. Like, they're really nice hardcovers, so I'm pretty proud of that. And that's where you can find me. Folks, you heard it. I also put it down there at the bottom just to make sure the spelling is correct. That's perfect. And while we go back... <clears throat> So you have such a tremendous amount of things that you do on a weekly, monthly basis. You have, I guess, you would have to have at least decent, if not impeccable time management skills. How do you juggle all of this? Forget gaming. How do you juggle family, work? I mean, okay, now we got to throw in, because you did mention dungeons. and uh, How do you juggle the tabletop? Because that, that takes hours on it. How yeah, do you do all yeah. that? And you're, you're recently moved in. How do you juggle hitting your, your, your metrics for work and everything else you got going on? Uh, I don't sleep much. <laughs> like, really? I really don't. Um, if I'm lucky, I get five hours uh, a night. Uh, which, you know, if you, if you have little kids, that's like a luxury, right? Cause like they keep you up all night long anyway. So now that I'm getting five hours of sleep, that actually feels like indulgent. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I literally, you know, I'm awake a lot. 
uh, and Ritalin really helps. Uh, it contains the ADHD and it gives me bursts of productivity. Uh, but in terms of like finding time, uh, I think as a, a self-employed creator uh, who uses social media to be marketable and discoverable, the, I think the big key to a lot of my success is having terrible boundaries in Ooh. terms of like leaving work at work. Um, okay. Because the reality of it is, is it's just me right? Okay. Like I don't have, you know, someone sitting in the corner of my basement that does my marketing for me. I don't have someone who's my social media manager. I don't have someone who picks and packs all my orders. It's just me. Um, you know, so there'll be nights where, you know, I'll, after everyone, you know, starts settling and stuff, I'll come down to work for two hours and I'll do my social media. And, you know, if I get five minutes when I'm out, I grab my phone and I'm, I'm messaging people and, and trying to stay caught up with everything. And, um, because I love what I do, it doesn't feel like work in the same way that, you know, if you're on call for your job and you get called in, that feels like a, you know, torture. Right. You know, if I'm sending people messages at 1030 at night before I go to bed, that doesn't feel like a burden to me um, because I like it. You know, I like doing it. I like connecting with people. Uh, and I write a lot of lists lists are how I, um, organize my, my day, my to-do okay. lists. Um, I have like piles of notebooks here. Like, and when I say piles, Nico, I mean piles. I have, you know, these little spiral bound fellas that follow me everywhere I go. Right. I have like five of these at any given time. And they're literally just like lists of all the things that on a given day I have to achieve or or organize or whatever that's a bad example but like you know this is yesterday these are the five things that i have to do um but it helps me to have like a tangible um list like an actual paper list that i can like look at and jot notes on and cross out and um, you know, manage my time that way and since you mentioned that you essentially do everything yourself community you mentioned a lot last time that community is so important for you how do you have the capacity the time the effort to have an engagement how do you do that um it's fun like i mean i think that's like the easiest way to say it um i am naturally extroverted so like i enjoy talking to people i enjoy connecting i enjoy interacting um and being uh, a writer is an innately solitary job mm -hmm. right like no one's sitting next to me working on the project right so i spend hours and hours and hours and hours alone looking at you know microsoft word just you know putting stories onto pixelated paper so those moments when I can like take a break, you know, hit save on the document, tab over to social media, and then like connect with people, even if it's just online, um, that feels like um, it like recharges the batteries a little, you know? And it also kind of reminds me that like what I do actually lives beyond me hitting save and word over and over, you know? Because uh, you can lose yourself in a project, right? Because it takes me right. months to write a book. And then when it's finally done, the next thing I do is I move on to the next project, right? Like I, I get it ready. I send it off for, you know, editing, formatting and cover and whatever. And then it comes back and then it gets released and then people start to read it and listen to it, whatever. And then by the time that happens, I'm usually a quarter of the way into the next project and that's where all my focus is. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to forget the fact that the thing I worked on for four months is now being consumed and hopefully enjoyed. So taking that minute and being like, you know, I'm going to jump into my forums or I'm going to check out my Facebook group or, you know, what's going on on my Instagram or TikTok or whatever and connecting with people who actually enjoyed or encountered my work uh, is grounding, right? And super encouraging. You know, they say don't read your reviews and, you know, to a point that's true, but, you know, sometimes it's really cool to read a good review, right? <laughs> so connect with people it, it it opens up your world and makes it more real now to dive a little bit deeper into that do you connect throughout the day or do you set a time 
or specific limits upon yourself. Like I'm not gonna just, you know, open it up first thing in the morning or right before I go to sleep. Or do you have like a specific interval, like every three hours, I'm gonna check it. Yeah. So I don't doom scroll, really. Um, you know, there are people who open up, you know, their their app of choice and then just wind up, you know, scrolling for hours and hours and hours. That's not really, not really what I do. So I don't lose tons of time when I'm on social media. I usually jump on. I, I do what I came to do. I might check out a few posts from a few people or check out, you know, some people are, or how some specific people are doing. And then I, I bounce off, right? And I'll check my notifications, right? Uh, I used to just kind of do that throughout the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd wake up, see what I had to do on social media, and then, you know, start my day. And then, you know, a couple hours later, I jump in, whatever. And I continue to do that, but I limit it. And what I, I'm currently doing, I started doing this, doing this this summer, and it was really mm -hmm. successful. Was limiting my non-writing projects, um, which could be like marketing, social media, developing, um, you know, convention appearances, um, anything that's not actually putting words on paper. I limit right. that to Tuesdays and Thursdays. So two days out of my five are just those things i don't try to write on those days right I, I don't even like i take it off my thing and i just focus on the stuff that um might suck away from writing time if i was just trying to fit it in you know on all five days mm -hmm. and what i noticed was is because i wasn't trying to split my time during each day i was actually mm -hmm. able to stay on task a lot better because mm. previously you know i would work for you know, I, I would write for an hour or two and then I'd be like, oh, I got to do that thing. You know, I got to message those guys or I got to look into that thing or whatever. And then I'd stop writing. Right. And because it was on my mind, I would do that thing for however long it took. And if that ran long and then I looked at the clock and was like, oh, God, like I really got to write more today and now I'm behind. Um, it could create anxiety. Right. I Where that. I feel like I'm falling behind. But if I if I create that boundary of saying, all right, Tuesdays, that's the problem for Tuesdays. It's not the problem on the days I write. I'm just going to worry about the writing thing. Um, it allows me to kind of like, like I said, encapsulate and stay hopefully more on target. And with those two days during the week, it should give your core community the ability to understand you might not be responding on Monday or Wednesday because those are your writing days. And so, you know, wait until Tuesday or Thursday and you, you'll get back to them. Right. Much quicker. Yep. And then obviously, you know, on the weekends, I, I still try to respond as possible, but you know, the kids are home and I want to be dad. Um, so, you know, I don't want to be sitting on the couch while they're, you know, trying to get my attention, like messaging some stranger from, you know, the UK um, about writing. Uh, so I try not to do that stuff, um, too, too much on the weekends. Mm -hmm. um, but like, if there's something like really pressing, I'll, I'll, I'll take 10 or 15 minutes and, and kind of say, Hey, I gotta go do this. And then I'll like come downstairs and I'll sit at my computer and like do a work thing as opposed to like letting my phone, um, become the tool that, you know, can invade other parts of my life. Right. When I get up from the desk and I walk away, try to leave it there if I can. Is that the is that the boundary that has essentially allowed you to live a more meaningful life as an author? I mean, I think that's part of it. Um, I think having a phone that allows me to manage all of my ways people can contact me um, complicates it, right? Because <laughs> I, I have an app where no matter how people find me, right, they can contact me, and you know those messages go to my phone, and I get notifications. And it's important for me to connect with people who have read my work or listened to my work because that's that's like a real thing. That's like a big deal to me. Uh, and it's very easy to get involved in that beyond what's like practical or healthy, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I said I have bound I have bad boundaries. Like it's very easy for me to like just pick up the phone and just start answering people right then and there because I picked up my phone and trying to like limit it and the time that I can take is, is definitely a struggle. And, you know, I, my wife is always like, just do it on your phone. Right. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to wait until I sit down at my computer because I, I want to keep it there. 
right? I want to keep mm-hmm. that work stuff there. And it's it's tough. It's tough. But it, it, I think it helps if I can hold mm-hmm. myself to it, actually, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it makes it easier to almost really, truly respect the chair or respect the space. Right. Like, as you mentioned previously, you might not be in the same physical location, <clears throat> but if you respect the space, like, this is where the magic happens. Right. This is where I sit here and I'm no longer dad or hubby. Right. I'm the writer, the the marketer, or insert whatever your your multi cap, uh, your multiple job wearing. Uh, right. You know, in that moment, that's who you are. That's who you're representing, and it makes it easier. Now, does that also make it easier to respond to your community like that, or? Do you respond to them just raw and uncut? Both. Um, I, I I mean, I got big hands, right? Like, I'm blessed with them, I guess you could say. So, like, typing on my phone is not uh, the easiest or fastest way for me to communicate with people. It just isn't because I, like, I fat finger, like, three buttons at a time, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I just can't can't find them fast enough. <clears throat> However, I have like a full size keyboard on my computer. Mm. So when I'm like writing messages or emails to people, mm. I always wait until I can like get to my computer because it's way less frustrating. It's way right. less backspacing to fix stuff. And it's just like better. Um, also, because my computer, I can interact with my files way easier and, you know, what I have in the cloud easier and you know what I have on my, my machine easier. I have more resources um to like interact in a in a a quality manner uh so it's just better to do it from the computer right so no i thought that pc pc power pc power (laughs) uh now you do have quite a bit of audiobooks and i wanted to know has creating audiobooks ever influenced your storytelling ability because of wanting to let's say increase the dialogue or increase the pacing or did you go into the audiobooks just to have an additional medium how did you get started on that because that's a totally different aspect of creativity yeah so when i first started writing um audio was you know like on cassettes right like people would go to the library and you'd borrow a a cd uh or you'd go into the bookstore and there was like two shelves where they would have like you know literally the cassettes or the 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 cds where you could buy a book and you know for a long time it was just like a joke right like you get audiobooks if you can't read right right but as our lives have changed more and more people realize that like the only way i can consume a book is to listen to it while i'm doing something else (laughs) it occurred to me at one point i I was working a a day job and i had only just really started to kind of like become a writer and you know my first couple books were out and i was doing something and i was like man i wish i had a a book to listen to right now i was like doing laundry and i was like wait a minute why don't i have audiobooks like what does that what does that entail and i started doing the research and and um you know whether or not i wanted to try to sell rights or do it indie or whatever and i decided to go the indie route which was definitely the right choice for me and you know my audiobooks are are by any stretch of the imagination pretty wildly successful uh in terms of like from where i came to to you know the the quantity that is consumed and supports me now uh and as far as how it affects how I write, it absolutely does. Because when you know, you're reading something, our brains have the ability to kind of gloss over certain things and mm-hmm. in, in the written form in a different way than it can uh, when we listen. So the, the big example is he said, she said. So in a book, every time the dialogue moves, you usually want to consider having something like he said or she said right or or they demanded or you know that you have to kind of tag that dialogue so people know who's speaking right and in a written book when the voices aren't given to you right when you're reading a book you kind of have to put that that text that dialogue into the character as you read it which is why he said and she said and all that stuff helps but when you're listening to an audiobook and the performer 
is using different voices and cadences and presentations on the different kinds of dialogue, the listener hears who's speaking. Mm. So in an audiobook, when you start putting he said, she said, he said, she said, you start to hear it. And I, I notice that I now structure my writing uh, so that it's a lot easier to read for the reader and for the narrator to mm. read and produce. So they can just use their natural, you know, th their presentation uh, skills to tell the story and allow those character um, uh, character voices to kind of develop without having to say he said she said da 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 da. Um, the, you know, the, the other kind of funny thing about writing for audiobooks is putting together pronunciations and sentences that will cause people to trip up when they read them. Um, and there's uh, the, the famous story is with Harry Potter, where uh, the guy who narrates the Harry Potter books, um, she put a line in that he like could not get right. Like it took him like 30 takes to say this one sentence. And the narrator like basically like bad mouthed her was like, man, I wish you'd just stop doing that. And then she started putting it into every book after that. <laughs> so he had to read it, you know? Right. And like, I know that there are, um, you know, words that you cannot say well if they run together, right? Right. So now when I'm writing, I, I you know, write for quality and I write for content, but I, I also have an eye and an ear for putting together dialogue and descriptions that are easier to say, you know? <laughs> you know, like, for example, when, I, when you listen to, like, rap music, let's say, right, there are rappers who enunciate and you can make out every single word and it, you can, you know, you can really go with it. And then, you know, there's like the mumble guys and the speed guys, right. That go so fast or like, they don't really say stuff and, <laughs> and like very clearly pick out. Right. Right. And you want to be as a writer, at least you want to, to write in a way that it's easy to, to hear and understand and whatnot. Um, so you, you don't want to write like, you know, someone who's, you know, putting out, you know, 50, 60, 70 words a minute, because then it, it becomes noise, you know, mm. but yeah, no, that's, it's definitely, definitely guided me. That's actually pretty interesting because when you have fun, as you've been mentioning that, like, that's how you are envisioning this job. Then when you're having fun creating a, a manner of generating better income because audiobooks is it's, I want to say it's a more accepting culture now, especially mm -hmm. we're in this uh, culture, as, as you mentioned, where individuals are ingesting books, whether they're driving, whether they're jogging, they're right. having their, their um, headphones in or whatever, and they just want to hear a story. And you meticulously created a story to be read by somebody to make it easier. How do you go about when you're, because you mentioned it earlier, but I want, I want to know the, like, the intricate detail how do you go about making sure that the words you're creating not only are original and creative, it flows with the story, but it also encapsulates the ability that somebody could just read it without tripping over themselves. How do you do that? <laughs> it, it takes time. Like the, the easy answer is, you know, repetition, right? Like, you know, they, they say, if you want to do something well, do it a thousand times. Right. Mm. And that is absolutely true. Right. The more you write, and the more you get feedback on that writing, the better you become in your first, second, and third attempts to write well, right? And, you know, I've written for years now, and I have a pretty good grasp when I sit down to write how I need to, to structure it, right? And how I, how I need to execute the idea that I hope to execute, right? Mm -hmm. And the simple fact of the matter is, is it takes time because I'll write something, right? And sometimes I nail it on the first try, right? Like I'll bust out a conversation between a couple characters in a book and it's just like, yep, <laughs> like that's exactly what I wanted to do. It reads exactly the way I want it to read. I, I said everything I need to say. I didn't say too much. I, I like everyone fit the roles that they need to fit. Everyone acted according to their, you know, the way they should act. Boom, done, move on. 
And then there are times where you write it and it's like, okay, that's good, but I'm going to have to come back to that because mm -hmm. I'm like, I need to think about that for a little bit. <clears throat> and then, you know, the next day or the next week or whatever, I'll go back and reread it with fresh eyes <clears throat> and realize like, oh, okay, I need to switch this. This person said too much, or this person actually wouldn't say this like that. Uh, or, you know, any of like 95 things that a conversation can be tweaked in. Mm -hmm. And then you tweak it, read it again. And sometimes, you know, like, all right, that's great. Perfect. Moving on. Or you think, eh, I'm going to come back to that. And that just takes time. And at the end of a book, right, when the whole story is written, you know, you're 70, 80, 90, 100,000 words into it, and you write the end on it, the first thing you do is you go back and do it again, right? You go all the way back to the beginning, and then you read it as if you were reading it. And knowing how it ends, you're then able to kind of go back in and make sure that you're hitting all the notes you need to hit. Or, you know, did you make an assumption about something um, that you need to make concrete? Uh, do you have all the scenes you need? Are you leaving something out? Do you need to put a scene in? Is a scene too much? Um, and like pacing, right? Like there are, there are ways to write tension. And then there are ways to slow the tension down to the point where like you lose that like nervousness in a book. And if you're too wordy, if you take too many um, paragraphs to explain something, you, you can bore your reader. So on that second pass through, right, you're looking to like trim out that fat where the excess can be removed. So you're like really down to the, you know, the story. And you're also looking to find those spots where like you glossed over stuff and you can put meat in, you know, like important scenes where, you know, characters exchange information or we, we, something's described in a way that foreshadows something or, or, you know, something to that effect. Right. And that 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 second and third pass through is where you take a neat story and you turn it into um, something that's really compelling, hopefully, um, and really organized and makes sense and has continuity and, and, and all that. Um, and again, it's time. You know, you can't rush it. Now, do you give specific instructions to the audio narrators in terms of how you want the the sound of specific um characters as well as the ambience the theme or because you've worked with them for such a long time it comes naturally how how does that work because your face lit up when i talked about audiobooks so i know it means a lot to you and yeah. there's something there's something there's something i need to extract from audiobook <laughs> that you want to say and i just don't know what it is but we're going to start with this <laughs> oh boy um when you audition for a title right it's just like you know a, an audition at a play right you put out the title you put out the information for the title and then narrators can choose to to audition for it <clears throat> and in that process right you you give them the you know the two or three paragraph kind of synopsis of what the story is and then you give them two or three paragraphs of like what you're hoping and like themes and ideas and tone uh and all that stuff and if there's like specific things that you want them to be mindful of, like if a character has a certain accent or, you know, a person speaks in a way that, you know, isn't perfectly executed in the text, you know, like if this person says things more snarky um, or if they're, you know, they hiss or they whisper more, you know, you can like basically give them all those instructions. Mm -hmm. And then when you get the audition, ideally you picked an audition script where they get to show off that they read the, the instructions, right? right? Did they give you the voices that you asked for in the way that you hoped to get them? Um, did they read at the right pace and cadence and all those different things that make it good or bad? Uh, and then if they did a good job, at that point, you can connect with them about things, ask them certain questions. They can clarify certain things like, Hey, how is this name pronounced? You know, if it's got a, a non-traditional spelling or whatever, but at that point you kind of got to let them perform and like take your story and let them perform it. And that's exciting, 
right? Because I created the story and I read it in my head a certain way, but then you put it in the hands of someone who has like some kind of a theatrical background and they're reading it like it's a, a theatrical production, right? And they put mm -hmm. spins on it that you may or may not have thought of, or they they present a scene slightly differently than the way you did in your head. And it's like really fun, you know, to hear something you created like performed back to you. And I try not to control my narrators, you know, unless there's something that's like a blatant mistake. Um, right, and that right, does right. happen, um, you know, like characters switching accents, you know, for the wrong reason. And in that case, that's an error, right? right. And, you know, you send them back a message and say, hey, you know, chapter X, this person starts talking in a, a German accent and they're actually French, you know, or whatever. Um, and they can go back and they can re-record that little section and then, you know, you know, put it out the way it, it needs to be. But in terms of controlling the performance, I want to give them the ability to do it. I want them to feel like they've been empowered to, to create the story as they see it. Um, and hopefully if I did a good job during the audition process, I hired someone or I teamed up with someone who gets my hopes and then executes a performance that gives me as much as what I'd hoped for as possible and also gives them enough uh, creative room to play and, and make the story their own too. Mm, okay. Okay. I think I know what question I want answered Ready. based off of your excitement. Do you feel, do you feel that audiobooks provides you another dimension of depth of creativity that adds an additional layer of your story because it's now being provided in a new medium with many more details that are needed to be expounded upon and as you mentioned it gives you a different perspective because somebody else brought it to life in their own way oh absolutely there's no question um everything you said is exactly the truth. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a whole new way to experience creativity, you know, to me and knowing that everything that I write is going to be in audiobook form changes how I write mm. um, and making sure that um, the, what I'm writing not only will be fun to read, but it'll hopefully be fun for someone to listen to. Um, and yeah, it just, it opens up doors for creativity and inspiration and um, makes me mindful, uh, like in the planning and research process as well, that I'm creating a book that will turn into a, a good value for a listener, not just for, you know, an ebook sale or, a, you know, someone picks up my paperback off a shelf. So yeah, it's definitely, it's exactly what you said. And because you're getting so much fun and experience doing the audiobook route, do you ever hope or foresee yourself picking up other mediums and having essentially much more fun and tinkering with those mediums? Or we'll just focus on audiobooks for now. <laughs> well, the from like a pipeline standpoint, right? Everything I write can go from ebook to print to audio in a straight line, right? Mm -hmm. The file I write can get formatted into an ebook. The file I write can get formatted into a print book. The file I write can get turned into an audio book, right? I don't have to do anything, right? right? I wrote it and just one, two, three, right down the line. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Taking those stories and then kind of turning it into different kinds of mediums can take a lot of work because it's not like one-to-one, -one, right? Like more work has to be done to adapt it, you know? So right. my my passion since I was a kid, like a little kid, was like comic books. And, you know, when I was eight, <laughs> you know, I, I thought about like what, what it would be like to have my own superhero comic, right? Mm. And I have, you know, I still have some of them where like I, you know, as a first grader, second grader, third grader, I wrote, you know, these little comic books right on, on paper, right. saved them. And yeah, I got them here somewhere. Right. And yeah. And it's been a life goal of mine to at some point get involved in the comic industry. <coughs> Pardon. And uh, this past year, I, I really kind of like put more effort into it. And I, I helped uh, a friend of mine, Anthony, uh, 
who had a comic idea who really wanted to kind of get it out there and his story is a, a whole separate story and it's a really cool story and he he came to me and he was a reader and a listener and because i'm available on social media he reached out and was like hey dude like i really want to do something with this do you have any idea how i do it and um over the course of a few months you know we kept kept talking and kept talking and kept talking mm -hmm. and I, I finally agreed to to help him in a more robust fashion and i edited the book for him i, I took his story and i i cleaned it up and presented it and i i showed him how to chop it up into a script that would you know an artist could then turn into a comic book and um i became the editor for the comic book and and he did a kickstarter for it and it successfully funded and he made you know several hundred comic books and fulfilled all the kickstarters and you know now we have piles of these comic books that we can sell and for me that was like a big life goal thing right <clears throat> even though it wasn't my story necessarily it was um like my, there's a comic book with my name on it right i'm that i'm excited that wasn't me i'm excited cool, what you know? um and it inspired me uh you know helping him and watching him get his you know his thing out into the world and and have it be received you know almost universally with you know thumbs up that was inspiring but it was also um <clears throat> liberating because then it was like well you know i could do that too you know and like i have ideas too pardon so um you know moving forward i i have a couple of other comic scripts that you know I, i've written for uh, you know one project or another over the years and i have a couple of artists that um you know i've been kind of circling projects with and <clears throat> it would be nice that you know on my tuesdays and thursdays when i'm like doing non-writing projects that you know if i could dedicate a little bit more time into developing some of my own comic properties and like trying to see like what happens with that that's like a big you know life goal thing for me because it's awesome to edit his book um but you know the next step would be to to have one i wrote right and who knows you know might turn into something might turn into nothing um and at the very least if it happens and i, I made some comics then you know my kids will be proud of me for that and it'll be cool so well, you guys heard him here chris <clears throat> that he's gonna create a comic maybe we're not gonna hold him to it but maybe and he maybe decides to do it he needs to come on this podcast to let us know because that it sounds amazing amazing I, I love podcasts i love comic books i love stories so you definitely have to come on there um to provide us with insight how you made it happen because there's a whole that's a whole nother medium for Man. stories too that's that's a, that's a whole mathematical formula for yeah. providing a story giving the visuals so yeah. i know you're gonna have a tremendous amount of fun if you decide to get that um underway uh, and finally the last question is almost something that you pretty much already answered so you could just <laughs> repeat um so essentially looking ahead what can your fans your true fans your community uh the listeners what can they anticipate in terms of new or current ventures that you're currently engaging in both whether in your writing gaming and your product uh your production excuse me what uh do you have for us to support and essentially back you up on great question um and it's way bigger than um it, it could be um in terms of like supporting me if there's uh, any existing reader of mine um they're already supporting me you know if they're a listener of mine they're, they've already done so so much for me um if they wanted to go the extra mile right and do me a solid they could just try a different series of mine like that would be a huge, um, a huge thing for me, because uh, a lot of readers that I have and listeners that I have are are primarily they read like one series, mm -hmm. and that's it. And whatever one they love, they they read that one, and they might try one or another. So um, if you if you really want to support me, try one of my other ones, um, because if you like my writing in one series, it's still me writing, right? The subject matter might be different and the characters right. might be different, but it's still me. And if you like the stories I tell, you know, th there's quality there for you. 
in terms of like moving forward, what's going to happen? Um, this past year, I, I did the hardcover project, which I, I adapted the eight, the first eight books of my Adrian series into like a prestige hardcover thing, which was an enormous project that took months um, to learn. To I did a lot of the work myself. I got all new cover art branded. Um, I mean, it was like an enormous project that took up a ton of my time. And I lost a lot of productivity on new stories because of it. And, um, you know, it took longer than I anticipated, yada, 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 yada. So hopefully next year, um, I don't have anything of that scope to eat away at uh, my productivity time. So theoretically, I'll probably put out one more book next year than normal. Uh, lately, it's been like two a year, which is still pretty good. But, you know, I'd really like to do three a year. That's like, mm -hmm. that, that really helps me. Um, you know, keep everything afloat. So hopefully I get, I get to do another book. The big thing, like the really big thing is, uh, the series that I'm most well known for the Adrian series is, um, still going and it's been going, you know, since 2010 and the 14th book is out in the series and I'm working on the 15th book right now. And I originally ended the series at book eight. Yeah. Book eight, book eight was the end and I was done. Like I thought that was too much, but then, you know, over the course of the next few years, as I worked on other projects, I got the inspiration like, Oh, Hey, you know, that would be a great way to continue that story. You know, right. And I had people who finished book eight that were like, are you ever going to write more? Are you ever going to write more? Are you ever going to write more? You know? So I started a few years later and here I am, you know, seven <laughs> books along after saying I quit. But really, um, there's only one or two books left at okay. this point. Like the the story that um, the second big like arc that I came up with um, is coming to an end. And there's probably definitely one, possibly two more books. And at that point, I am doing a lot of soul searching um, mm -hmm. because the the other series that I'm writing right now, Diggory, uh, I'm going to wrap with the next book uh, that I'll probably write this year. And then that series will be done at four books. And Adrian will probably wrap up this year as well with book 15 or book 16. And then I don't really have any other series to return to that like really has people asking for it. I have a couple other series that could be continued, but they're not like they don't have the pull. Right. So returning to them doesn't seem like a, a particularly financially smart decision, right? Which means I have to come up with a new idea. Uh, I haven't thought of uh, making the Adrian series into a comic? I don't think that would be successful enough okay. to like pay the bills, you know? Like I think if I made a comic book about it, it would definitely make money, right? But I don't think it would make the kind of money that me putting out novels would. Mm -hmm. um, and making comics is expensive. If you, want, <laughs> man, if you want a good artist, it is yeah. not cheap. Not and there's like a limit to how many Kickstarters I can run, right? Because at that <laughs> point, I'm just like asking everyone to pay for everything, right? Oh. And I, I like, I, I just can't kickstart everything. Like that's just not fair to my my fan base who just wants to buy a book, right? Right, right. Um, so like I have to be very mindful of like how I'm trying to fund it, right? And mm -hmm. with two kids and the state of the economy, the world right now, like I don't have $3,000 sitting on a table that I can just pay for art and color and formatting. Like I just don't have that money fluid to invest in a comic book. Boy, would I love to, but I just don't. <laughs> so whatever idea that, you know, I, I need to focus on to be as like my, my primary, like, um, writing income, let's say I need it to be a good idea. I need it to appeal to a lot of people and I need it to be right. exciting enough that I know that I can, I can do it for a while. You know, I like to write in series. I don't like to do, you know, one and done. Right. So my fans can expect in the next year, um, that I'll be putting out a lot of help me, <laughs> uh, posts and requests. Um, to help kind of steer me in a direction that I'm excited to go in, in terms mm -hmm. of creating. And also that they're excited to go with me and uh, see stories that they want me to create. 
And my hope is, is that I can, you know, write maybe the first chapter or two of like three different ideas that appeal to me and then put them out and then see what people like. Um, you know, if a hundred people read it and 75 people like one and the other two get the remainder, well, I'm going to go with the one that 75 people liked. Right. Right. Because that's what people, you know, connected with. Um, so yeah, I'm probably going to do something like that. And I have a few ideas, but nothing like, I don't know if it's the one, you know? So. Well, that sounds like an amazing set of things that are going to get done that are going to help you fix on the next couple of goals. Once your uh, upcoming projects are completed and you have a much more free time to engage with your community and ask them to help you figure out where to go next. So that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today and providing all of this wonderful insight into your brain, how you work, where you're getting all this inspiration as well. Some of those stories, I knew I was going to get some of those stories. Guys, if you like this, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Leave Thanks. a review. Check out Chris's website as well as the description. There's other there's two other links on there as well. If you have one more thing, now is the perfect time to say it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to you for having me on. It's fun. You're easy to talk to, and I love what you what you do, what you're trying to do with the show. Um, thanks to everybody who followed me here, you know, my people who come to watch and, and, you know, keep following Nico cause you know, it's a good show. And to anybody who doesn't know who I am, who is finding me because of this show right now, thank you <laughs> for listening to me rant and rave. And I hope that, uh, hope that you give one of my books a shot and we get to become Facebook friends and I can talk to you at 10 30 at night on a Saturday because I have poor boundaries. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, everybody. Stay focused, stay productive, keep gaming, keep leveling up, gamers. Until next time, this is Nico Penging signing off from A Gamer's Guide to Productivity.